Good morning, church. Let me invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 15. We're going to continue on as we walk through this great New Testament book of Acts. So Acts chapter 15 is where we're going to be this morning, and I am really excited to dive into this chapter together. A lot of good stuff here for us as a church. So we'll get there in just a moment, but uh, let me uh, start this way this morning. In life... There are simply some things that are worth fighting for. Now, there are some things that we fight over that are not worth fighting for, and that's when the problem comes in sometimes, but in life, there are some things that are worth fighting for. 500 years ago, in 1517, a German monk by the name of Martin Luther picked a fight, if you will, with the Roman Catholic Church. Now, Luther was a theology professor, and after years of study and meditating on the Word of God, he became convinced in his soul that the Roman Catholic Church was simply distorting the clear gospel message and the truth. Luther, if you know the story at all, had been wrestling even in his own heart of, of this question. And by the way, I think everyone will wrestle with this question at one time or another. How can sinful, broken, unrighteous men and women be right or be in right relationship with a holy, perfect, sinless God? How does that work? And Luther had been brought up in this Roman Catholic tradition and he had been told that Men and women can be justified, can be made right with God through church sacraments, by keeping the mass, uh, by good works, by adhering to Catholic teaching, uh, by giving large sums of money called indulgences, by this thing called purgatory where you could buy a loved one out of the grave with enough money and secure their place in heaven. And Luther was just so conflicted in his heart. He knew that man was separated from God and he knew he wanted to be right with God, but he knew what he'd been taught most of his life was not true from the church. Luther digs down into Scripture in places like Romans, and he became convinced of this reality. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works that anyone should boast. Now, amen? That's good news. So Luther was convinced of the reality that men and women come to know Christ and are born again by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And you know, there was a point in time, October 31st, 1517, when Luther took a list of 95 theses or 95 objections that he had to what was being taught, and he nailed them to the, the church door there in Wittenberg, and thus the Reformation, as we call it today, was started. You may or may not know, because of that, Martin Luther was excommunicated from the church. He was billed a heretic, and his fight, or what he was willing to fight for, came at great loss, even in his own life. But here's what Martin Luther believed, and here's what I want us to hold to this morning. There are some things worth fighting for. And Martin Luther was convinced that the fight to hold on to what the Bible teaches, that men and women come to know Jesus Christ, they are justified, made right with God by faith in Christ, through the grace of God, in Christ alone, Martin Luther was convinced that's worth fighting for. 
Now, 1,500 years prior to Martin Luther, the Apostle Paul fought the same fight and believed the same truth that you and I hold dear today. In Acts chapter 15, there's really a fight going on. There's a debate. There's a discussion. There's an argument. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas and others at the church at Antioch. Remember, we studied Antioch last week. This bastion of Gentile faith where the church was expanding to the nations. And non-Jews or Gentiles were coming to to the faith by thousands. There was this fight, this battle. Is it by faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? So we're going to pick up the fight, or we're going to pick up the battle in verse 1 of chapter 15. I'm going to read a few verses, and then we're going to walk through this really just critical, I can't stress this enough, just this critical chapter in the book of Acts. If you've kind of laid aside the reading plan, boy, I pray you pick that back up and just read through Acts 15 and some of these chapters we're going to be in over the next few weeks, critical chapters in your Bible. So verse 1 of chapter 15 of Acts says this. So some men came down from Judea, or Jerusalem, and began teaching the brethren. Now the brethren are again Gentile believers, non-Jews, who had just recently come to faith. They were were holding on to this gospel truth that they had heard. So there's these new believers, or newer believers there at the church in Antioch. And these men come down and they begin to teach. They say, unless you are circumcised... According to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, this is no small thing that they're trying to teach here at the church at Antioch, right? This is a major issue that Paul is going to determine is worth fighting for. Verse 2, and when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension, (laughs) that may be one of the great understatements in your Bible. They had a few things to say to these men. And great debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. Verse 4. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done. All that God had done with them. But some, some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up and said, Hold on just a minute. We hear what you're saying, Paul and Barnabas, but here's what we believe. It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. In other words, Jesus Christ is simply not enough. So you can see what we're getting into here in chapter 15 is a major issue of gospel importance. Then, 500 years ago at the time of the Reformation, and right here in 2017 at Tri-Cities Baptist Church, what is it that we hold to that is necessary for someone? How is a person made right with God? Because you got to know, today, 500 years ago, 2,000 years ago, the drift and the tendency is always to distort that 
core biblical teaching and to add something to it or to, to distort it in some way. And we've got to stand because the Bible teaches us that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone plus nothing else. Right? So what does this look like and how does this press its way out? I'm going to walk down through these verses and make some application in our lives this morning. Incredibly important text that we're reading through. So there's a debate going on in Antioch. These men come from Jerusalem. Uh, They're wanting to distort the clear teaching that Paul and Barnabas had been holding out uh, to these new believers. And they tell it, according to verse 1, some men came down and they began to teach that it was necessary for these new believers to be circumcised. Now, who are these guys? Well, the rest of the Bible teaches us these are Jewish men who heard about all that was going on in Antioch and they came down. The Bible refers to them as Judaizers. They were Jewish men, troublemakers, Paul calls them in another place. They were also known as the party of the circumcision, but I assure you it was no party wherever they went. They were the ones that held out circumcision, held out obedience to the law. They held out all these different things that were necessary to truly be right with God. And by the way, as you walk through the New Testament, it's men like these and others that hounded Paul in every place he went. Trying to add to the simple message of the gospel of Christ. Well, what were they teaching? Verse 1 says, they were teaching that unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They were trying to add this Jewish rite that was performed on all males at birth as an outward demonstration that you were truly right with God. They said, it's fine for you to believe in the Messiah, but you got to understand, belief in Jesus alone is simply not enough. you got to add stuff to it. Now, if you'll give me some license for just a few minutes, I'm going to try to give you a very brief history lesson and walk back in time a little bit and then bring us back to Acts chapter 15. So, why are they saying this? I mean, there's a, there's a revival going on in Antioch, and thousands are coming to faith in Christ. And then back in Jerusalem, these Judaizers, if you will, who had been brought up in the Jewish custom, hear about this activity, and they just feel compelled. They've got to go to Antioch, and they've got to straighten out what in their mind was false teaching. Why are they teaching this, and why do they come to Antioch? It's of incredible importance to you and me this morning. So let me just give you a little bit of background here this, this, this morning very quickly. First, I want you to know this, that in all of human history, there, have, there has always been only one way for sinful, broken human beings to be made right with a holy God. By grace, through faith alone. Amen? In other words, if somehow in your thinking, you think back to the Old Testament and you think to people before Jesus and and back in the times of Noah or Abraham or David or whoever it is, if you somehow in your mind believe that there was at one time another way to be right with God and to know God, that's simply not what Scripture teaches. In all of history, there's only been one way to know God. It has been by faith in God's provision, trust and faith in God. Let me show you that. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. You don't have to turn there. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, just give you a quick lesson. You remember what happened maybe? Adam and Eve are there in the garden. Perfect fellowship with God. 
perfect union with God. No sin. They didn't argue. They didn't fight. They went to bed happy. They woke up happy. Everything was great. It was a sinless world. And by the way, you and I can't even imagine that. But one day we will. Amen? In Christ. So perfect union with God. Sin enters the picture. Eve. Adam was there as well, by the way. It wasn't just Eve's fault. Eve eats the fruit in direct disobedience from God. Sin enters the human race. And for the first time in all of history, man is broken in their relationship with God. Now, what was the first thing that Adam and Eve did when God came back into the garden to have fellowship with them? What did Adam and Eve do? You may remember. Adam and Eve hid, the Bible says, and they fled to the corner of the garden, Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loin coverings for themselves. Pastor Mike, I've never really known what that means. Why is that in the Bible? I don't care what they were wearing. What does that matter? It matters greatly because here's what God is teaching you. The first human being, here's Adam and Eve, when sin entered the world, they knew they were broken, they knew there was a problem, they knew things were not right, and the first thing they did, because they knew they had shame and sin, the first thing they did is they tried to cover up their own sin. So they go to the corner of the garden, and they sow these ridiculous fig leaves, and they try to cover their own sin because they knew there was a problem. But even in their own efforts to cover their own sin, they still had shame. They still had that sin, and they learned that they were totally unable to do a single thing about the sin in their lives, right? By the way, the default in all human beings around the world is this. I know something's not right with my Creator. I'll try to fix it my own way. That's the human default. You say, all the religions of the world, there's only two religions of the world. I'm going to earn my way to God, or I'm going to trust what God has done for me. Only two. And Scripture holds out Christ and Christ alone as God's provision. Every other belief system of the world is fig leaves. All of them. So here we see from the very beginning. So what does God do? Genesis 3.21 says, God comes to the garden. He sees Adam and Eve trying to cover their own sin. And in a beautiful verse, Genesis 3.21, maybe you've read it, never knew what it meant. It says, then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve. And I love this. The, the, the grace is so rich here. And God clothed them. Meaning, here's Adam and Eve trying to cover their own sin and shame with these ridiculous fig leaves. And God comes in and says, okay, hang on. He takes an animal. He kills the animal. Why? Because sin brings forth death. And he skins the animal. And he makes garments for them. And he covers their shame and their nakedness and their sin as a picture of the gospel. Listen. Did the animal skin take away their sin there? No, 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 no. It was a picture of the Lamb of God who was going to come. See? 
So from the very beginning, you see, there's only, there's only one way that mankind has ever been right with God. By trusting in God's provision, in what God will do. Fast forward to Abraham. Abraham was promised in Genesis 12, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you, Abraham. And there's going to be a Messiah that's going to come through you, Genesis 15. And he took Abraham outside. They looked toward the heavens and counted the stars. He said, count them if you are able. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And in particular, from Genesis 12, one particular descendant that's going to be the sin bearer for the world, the Messiah, is going to come through you, Abraham. And look what Genesis 15 says. Then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. How did Abraham, how was Abraham made right with God? Faith in the coming Messiah. Faith in the coming Messiah. Now hang with me. I'm going somewhere with this. I know this is a lot. We're going to get back to Acts 15 in just a minute. So then God determines, okay, so I'm going to begin this nation Israel. And I'm going to raise up this nation Israel from the earth. And from Israel, I'm going to make known to the world my love for the world. And I'm going to make known my way of salvation. I'm going to set Israel apart They're going to have different things they eat and they won't eat. They're going to have different laws that they're to obey and they won't obey. They're to have the right of circumcision as an outward symbol of this nation of Israel being cut off. I'll give them my law. I'll give them the sacrificial system to show how ugly sin is. But all of that is to point. Now listen, every bit of that is to point to the day when the Messiah will come through Israel as a sin bearer for the world. Grace. Grace. So up to that point, here's what happened. Israel existed as a means for the world to know God and his plan of redemption. So throughout history, if you were born and you were not a Jew, the way you came to know Messiah is you became part of the Jewish community. You functionally became a Jew, not as a means of salvation, but you took on Judaism or you became outwardly a Jew as a pathway to faith you see that throughout the Old Testament look at Ruth look at Rahab in the book of Joshua so the nation of Israel was to be a pathway not the means of salvation but a pathway to faith now here's the catcher over time this distinction became blurred prideful Jewish nationalism their tendency to add to faith becoming Jewish became understood as a prerequisite for faith in other words by the time you get to Acts 15 the Jews firmly believe if you're going to come to faith if you're going to know this God if you're going to know the Jewish Messiah you got to first become Jewish Jewish. So now fast forward to Acts 15. And you got all these Jewish leaders there who have been raised up in this Jewish system. They had believed this. They had blurred the two. And they hear about all these people coming to faith in Antioch and not becoming Jewish. They weren't being circumcised. They weren't obeying the law of Moses. They weren't doing all these external Jewish things. And they say, we got to go straighten these people out. But what they had done is they had distorted the pathway or the outward picture of the coming Messiah with how a person is truly justified. When from Genesis to Revelation, let me be very clear, the message of how a person is made right with God is always faith alone. Always. 
So there's a fight that brews here. They, they come and John Stott, a commentator, says they were telling Jew, Jew, Gentile converts that faith in Christ was not enough. Not sufficient for salvation. They had to add to their faith circumcision. They had to add the observance to the law. The issue was immense. The way of salvation was at stake. The gospel was in dispute. The very foundations of the Christian faith were being undermined. That's what's going on in Antioch. So now you know why these guys come and they start teaching this adding to the gospel. Paul just rises up and Barnabas just rises up and they say... Hold on. And you get to verse 2 of Acts 15. And verse 2 says, And when Paul and Barnabas had great discussion and debate with them. And you know Paul's background. Paul grew up a Jew. Paul understands all this. But Paul understood the significance of it was a picture. It was an outward example. All to point to Jesus Christ. Never to become a substitute for Jesus Christ. And there's contention and there's argument here. Verse 6. So what happens? The apostles and the elders, the Bible says in verse 6, came together to look into the matter. So they're going to have a council. And, and, there had, and after there had been much debate, verse 7, Peter. So let me just fill in the blanks here for you. So a council is convened in Jerusalem to settle this dispute. Because the church is early in its foundations. If this thing isn't settled correctly, you're talking about a future that's going to be very unclear and very rocky. Of What is the church? What is the gospel? How's a person come to know Christ? So there's this council that's convened in Jerusalem. And after there had been much debate, verse 7, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you. That by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and would believe. Verse 8. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did also to us. And he made no distinction between us, Jews, and them, Gentiles, cleansing their hearts by faith. Verse 11. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. Powerful words by Peter here in this council. So three truths come out of this meeting that are going on in the council. I'm going to give you these really quick. First truth is this, Peter makes it very clear, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone, period. Peter, a Jew, stands up and makes that clear. Galatians 1.8, Paul says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Paul said, listen, if anywhere in life you encounter those that are trying to add to salvation and they are trying to minimize the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and resurrection as enough, Paul says, let them be accursed. For you, you need to understand you live in a sea, a world of false teaching. And whether it's Baptist doctrine or whether it's Catholic or whether it's Jehovah's Witness or whatever it might be, if you're taught and held out anything contrary to Scripture that it's Jesus plus something else that makes you right with God, Jesus plus your baptism, your good works, your good deeds, you just fill in the blank. You need to understand the Apostle Paul would say that is absolutely from the pit of hell. That is not the truth that Jesus Christ is enough, right? So the council, they come out and they say, salvation is by grace through faith alone. Secondly, 
Peter says, listen, you got to understand, God has made no distinction between Jew and Gentile. The message of redemption is equal for both. And by the way, as a Gentile, that's pretty good news, and for the majority of you as well. So the second truth is this, the church is made up of ethnically diverse people unified by the heart-transforming gospel of Christ. The understanding at this point from those who had come in their, come, grown up in their Jewish background was this. God's activity centers around one particular ethnic group, the, the people of Israel. And here it's very clear that the church is going to be made up of every tongue and every tribe and every people group. There is no partiality with God. The redemption of God is for all people who believe. That's good news. And third, third point, really quick, out of the council is this. Verse 13 and 14, after they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his own name. Verse 15, with these words, James says, of the prophets agree just as it is written. I want you to stop right there because this is hugely important to you. The point that comes out of this, the vital truth number three, is this. The final authority for this decision rests in Scripture, not in the decisions of men. Because you might come out of this section in Acts and you say, okay, so a group of guys got together and they had this council and they determined how a person is made right with God. Absolutely not. What the council determined was from the beginning, here's what God has always said, here's what God is still saying, and here's what the gospel message teaches. It is by faith in Christ alone. Otherwise, you drift into a notion that the final authority rests with the church or with men and women. The final authority is in what has been written and revealed by God. Amen? The church only has authority when the church is in line with what God has said. Massive distinction. If you're working with a Catholic friend or some, someone who's maybe drifted over into that or coming out of that background, you've got to understand that's one of the major separations. We do not believe the church is the final authority. We believe Scripture from the mouth of God is the final authority. And from this council, James stands up and says, look, it's by faith in Christ alone, and that's what God has said from the very beginning in His Word. That's huge for you and me. So you continue on and you see this is just a massive Massive, important point for us here today. Now, you can say all that, and I imagine what's going through your mind, if you're not really careful, is something like this. Okay, Pastor Mike, I've been brought up in church, or maybe you're brand new to this thing, wherever you stand, and the tendency might be to say something like this. Listen, I've heard that most of my life. Watch. I got it. (laughs) Of course I believe that. Pastor Mike, I, I was taught that by parents. I mean, I, I, of course I believe it's through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But here's, here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. I want to take the truths that were laid out here in Acts 15. I'm going to give you four, I think, really critical applications to your life and my life of how the clarity of the gospel matters to you and me this morning, okay? Four quick applications. I'm going to give you these this morning. Acts 15, 31 and 32 uh, here's what happens. So the Jewish council, they, they, or the council in Jerusalem, they, they convene, they come together, and they, 
They determine this decision, this outcome, then they write a letter back to the believers at Antioch. And they say, okay, listen, I just want to be clear. God from the beginning has taught faith in his Messiah and that alone. All this other stuff you're hearing, push that aside. It's faith in Christ alone. So the believers in Antioch, they hear that. And here's what they do, verse 31 of Acts 15. When they read this letter, they rejoiced. Because of its encouragement, Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. Here's application number one for you this morning. Rejoice in the gospel of Christ. Now the reason I say that this morning is because here's what happens to my heart and your heart. If you're truly born again, it is very easy to become so familiar with the gospel truths that we come here and we stand and we sing the things like we sang this morning. Or you open your Bible, or you're among other believers, or you have the opportunity to share the gospel, or just in your day-to-day life, you and I forget the wonder of the message of the gospel of faith in Christ alone. We forget that we have been completely pardoned. We forget that we have been adopted. We forget that we have been completely forgiven in Christ. We forget undeservedly, in a way that we could never earn, God has chosen us, elected us, saved us, and He's going to bring us home to our eternity forever to be with Him, all by grace. Let me give you a quick illustration. The other day, just a few days ago, I was, uh, what would be a good word? I was fervently driving my car down Colonial Heights Road. I was driving with great diligence to my in-law's house. And as I was driving with great diligence, I passed a Sullivan County police officer who with equal diligence pulled out behind me and wanted to spend a few moments talking with me. I don't know if you know, the speed limit on Colonial Heights Road is 25 miles an hour. It's hard to drive 25 miles an hour, right? I'm justifying myself, okay? Got it. So I was going 51. I was going a little bit over. Just a little. Sullivan County officer steps up to the car. He says, sir, you know how fast you were going? I, I'm not sure. And he said, well, you're going 51 and a 25. And so I need your license and registration. And I had just come from a funeral, by the way, and I was wearing my suit and tie. And in my mind, I'm thinking, if I play the pastor card, it might help me. So, and honest before the Lord, I did not in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I don't like that kind of thing. I said nothing about being a pastor. And he said, why are you so dressed up? Well, I've been to a funeral. And I didn't tell him I was pastor. So, he goes back to his car, he takes his license, I'm thinking, man, I deserve this, I was speeding, I, did, you know, I, I didn't try to fuss, I didn't try to argue. A few minutes later, he walks up the side of the car and he looks at me and he goes, son, can you just slow down a little bit? I said, yes, sir, I will absolutely. And somehow he found out I was a pastor and he said, oh, by the way, and say a prayer for us. I said, I'll do whatever you want me to do for you. I, I, in fact, I'll have the whole church pray for you, that's what said, what's this? Now, this is a small illustration. I was guilty. I was guilty. 
I had no leg to stand on. And we're talking about maybe a $100 ticket. I tell you, I got, when he pulled away, I was driving down the road. I was singing, hallelujah, man. I got, I was free. I've been pardoned. I've been set free. And it hit me. You're talking about a $100 ticket and you're that excited? Listen to me. Part of growing in grace and growing in the understanding of the gospel is how the gospel continually permeates your heart on a daily basis that you rejoice in what Christ has done for you. And we rejoice that we are pardoned and adopted and born again and part of the family and made right. And he has clothed us with his righteousness and he has taken my sin away. And we open this word to be reminded of that. And we sing the songs to be reminded of that. Beloved, I want want you to hear something this morning. God help us to rejoice in the gospel. Amen. Secondly. Secondly, this morning, I I want us to learn to live out the gospel. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there to to Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to look at something that took place here very quickly, and I know our time is almost up. I want you to see this as an illustration of what it means and what it looks like to live out the truths of the gospel in everyday life. Some of you in this room would say, yes, I believe the gospel, and yes, I believe in what Jesus has done, and I believe in the cross and the resurrection, and that's how I start my Christian life. And then you think, and then we're going to leave the gospel behind, and we're going to continue on. That's not the Christian life. Let me show you this. At Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, very quickly, this happened at Antioch. Same situation we're talking about in Acts 15. It happens here in Antioch that this group comes to Antioch. And Paul writes about it here in Galatians chapter 2. He says, but when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Peter. And Paul says, Peter stood condemned. Why? For before certain men came from James or Judea. We just read about those men in Acts 15. Peter was at Antioch with Paul and Barnabas and the others. And Peter, in his freedom of the gospel, used to hang out with Gentiles and non-Jews. And remember, Peter had an issue with that sometimes because of his superiority and he's not understanding the gospel and all that. So before these men came down, Peter, Paul says, they used to hang out with the Gentiles. But when they came, watch this, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Peter began to show partiality and Peter began to practice this superiority and look down on his Jewish or his Gentile brothers and sisters there in Antioch. Let me just put it to you simply. Peter's causing great division at the church in Antioch. And Paul says, I opposed Peter to his face. Verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. Peter was such an influencer and such a leader. He begins to cause this rift in the church there at Antioch. And the Jews begin to go over and do their thing. And the Gentiles begin to go over and do their thing. And somehow in the mind of the Jews, they were thinking, you know, that they're still the Gentiles. We're still somehow superior. We can't eat with them. And they begin to revert back to their old ways of thinking before Christ. Watch. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. What? Peter was practicing nationalistic racism. Peter was pridefully fearing man over God. Peter was causing great disunity in the church at Antioch. 
to the point Paul says, I went to his face. And here's what Paul did. Look at verse 14 or I'll just read it to you. Paul says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Will you please let that sink in for a minute? Paul does not say, Peter, you're practicing this Jewish superiority junk again. Stop it, Peter. He could have said that and been right. But he says, Peter, you have forgotten the gospel. And watch this. The implications of the gospel into everyday life, Peter. Doesn't, Peter, doesn't mean Peter was no longer a believer. It just means Peter thought, okay, I understand Jesus died and rose again. I understand the gospel. I'm going to kind of leave that behind. And then Peter started living out, if you will, out of his own flesh rather than understanding. Listen, he had forgotten the gospel and he had forgotten. He had failed to work through and down into his life the implications of the gospel. Listen to me. I want you to hear something about Christian growth. And about discipleship and about growing in Christ. The finished work of Christ, the gospel, is not merely how we began as a believer. It is how, by the power of the Spirit, we live this life as believers in Christ. You say, Pastor Mike, I don't understand that. Help me, help me with that. Paul says, Peter, you've not allowed the realities of the gospel to trickle down into your heart and change your heart about how you look at these Gentile brothers and sisters. Us, as we grow in faith and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, here's what happens. Growth as a believer is continual heart transformation as we learn through the Word of God by the Spirit of God, to live out the immense implications of the gospel into every area of our lives. If you think, I got the gospel, I can state it, I understand it, I believe, I'm truly going I'm going to leave that behind and I'm going to move on, you do not understand all the writings of Paul. The letters of the New Testament are Paul taking the gospel and then saying, okay, here's how it fleshes out in your marriage. Here's how it fleshes out in the workplace. Here's how it fleshes out in how you treat people. Here's how it fleshes out in every area of your life. Let me give you some examples, okay? Hang with me. This is huge. Colossians 2.6, Paul says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him. Same way you come to Christ by faith, same way you walk in Christ. Romans 6.4, therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. The basis for our capacity to walk in the newness of life is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How does that work its way into everyday life? Give me some examples. Number one. How can I show forgiveness toward others who do not deserve forgiveness? You been there this week? (laughs) Today. Appreciate your honesty. In other words, as believers, we're continually interacting with human beings. And I'm talking about people who are genuinely born again here, all right? I'm not talking about the fake stuff. 
genuinely born again? How can we continually learn to forgive others who we would, who we would render in our mind as being un, unworthy of forgiveness because we tend to do that? The gospel of Jesus Christ and we see it and we savor the forgiveness that has been given to me in Christ Jesus through the cross and the resurrection. And watch this, when I behold that and I'm reminded of that and I take the word of God and the spirit presses that down into my life, watch this, it's no longer a rule I keep, it is my heart is changed. You can't as a believer savor and see and behold the forgiveness that you've been granted in Christ. Oh, by the way, completely undeserved. And not then learn over time to grant the same forgiveness to others. And by the way, that truth alone would save some marriages. Number two. How can I learn to love unconditionally how can I learn to love people not to gain something for myself or not based on their performance or not based on the way they treat me because by the way that's the love that the Bible holds out and that is the love that Christians are to display in the world how can I do that because the Spirit of God is within me and he takes the Word of God and he takes the truths of the gospel and presses them down into my heart and my soul and I'm changed at a heart level and I am blown away 1 John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon me that I would be called a child of God. Undeserved, unmerited, I haven't performed, it is the grace of God. Now watch. And as you wrestle with that, and you let that seep down into your soul, and you're in the Word of God, and the Spirit of God is transforming you, and you come and we sing about the songs of the love of God, what watch happens? You are gradually being transformed as a disciple of Christ. And what is it? It's the gospel. You see that? Is my marriage 50-50? No. Is my marriage 100-100? No. Your marriage as a child of God is this. I, by the power of Christ, am going to give 100% even if my spouse gives nothing. Because that is the gospel of Christ being worked out in everyday life. Because I guarantee you, Jesus didn't look down at you and say, well, he's given about 50%. Maybe I'll save that guy. You better believe you were given nothing. In fact, you had a debt. You were in the negative. <laughs> and Jesus extended grace to you. That's the gospel. How can I fight sin? You don't fight sin by focusing on sin. I'll assure you of that. You fight sin by Romans 6.11. Even so, look at the gospel, look at the cross, look at the resurrection and consider yourself to be dead to sin because you were in Christ. When he died, sin no longer has mastery over you. And Paul says in Romans 6, when God raised Christ from the grave, you were raised with him. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's how you fight sin cross, the gospel, pressed out in every area of your life. Your identity, 
Man, are you on the treadmill trying to achieve enough, earn enough, find enough that someone might accept you and someone might love you and someone might applaud you and someone might look to you and say you're worthwhile? Listen, you will never find that on the treadmill of culture. You will find it in the gospel of Jesus Christ who in Christ looks at you and says, I delight in you. I find joy in you. You are accepted. You are loved. You are treasured. I have a plan in your life. And you know that because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel working its way out in our lives see that Martin Luther said I'll be done Martin Luther said about the gospel working its way out in our lives he said here I must take my counsel with the gospel most necessarily it is therefore that we should know the gospel well we should teach it to others and beat it into their heads continually Meaning I'm like Peter and you're like Peter. And as I go through my days, I forget the implications of what Jesus Christ has done and how they press down into every single area of my life. See that? Rejoice in the gospel. Live out the gospel. And the last two, we're going to be finished. Thirdly is make known the gospel. Listen, I'm convinced for you and I'm convinced for me as a church until these truths that I've just talked about continue to become a reality day by day and the coin, if you will, drops in the the Coke machine. It's sitting there. We think we understand the gospel. We think we understand. Oh, oh, I get it. I get it. I'm forgiven. Therefore, I can forgive. Until that permeates its way. Listen, it becomes a drudgery to share the gospel with other people because you and I are not fully convinced that the gospel is really good news. Because if you believed it was really good news like the Bible holds out, and I believe daily it's really good news like the Bible holds out, watch this. Nobody can stop me from telling people about Jesus. Amen? they got to know this. they got to know this. And then finally... So we rejoice in the gospel, we live out the gospel, we make known the gospel, and then finally, some of you in this room right now, just as our team begins to play, I want you to listen. Some of you in this room this morning, your step of decision is this, for the first time in your life, you need to believe the gospel. You say, hold on, Pastor Mike. I've grown up in church, or maybe it's the first time you've ever understood that it really is Jesus and Jesus only. And this morning you are here, and there's a wrestling in your heart, and that is the Spirit of God. And maybe for the first time in your life you realize, I need a Savior. I am hopeless. And your eyes have been opened. And watch this. God has presented Jesus Christ to you. And you realize for the first time, He's everything. I don't add to that. I don't work my way up to that. I can be fully accepted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I ask you just to bow your heads here this morning for a moment. We're going to stand and sing as a church in just one minute. But here's, I just want to say this again. I'm fully convinced that in this room right now, there are many of you who if asked, you could state 
you could say the tenets of the gospel. Oh yeah, I, Jesus died, rose again, I get it. But you've never believed and therefore you are lost in your sin. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that anyone may boast. The response for some of you in this room this morning needs to simply be this. God, for the first time in my life, my eyes are open. I believe. I trust. And I'm throwing myself on Jesus Christ and Him alone. Your step of action in just a moment when we stand and sing or when this service is over to slip out these back room doors and go to the prayer room where there'll be a team of people ready to meet with you. And for the rest of us, we're going to sing about this great faith that is in Christ. We're going to continue to encourage each other in the gospel this morning. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this gospel truth that is absolutely eternity altering. We love you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray and in Christ alone we sing.